Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. We continue to study Jesus' warning and rebuke of the Pharisees, and I wanted to mention that sheet I mentioned last week, that one-page sheet front and back on the heart God revives with the contrast between proud people and broken, humble people. Uh, Y'all took all those last week, praise God. I put a lot more out, so if you want more of those, they're on the back right corner of the table, uh, and you can get those there. We're in Matthew chapter 23 again, and we begin Jesus' woes to the Pharisees and scribes. We'll do half of the woes today, and God willing, the rest of them next Sunday. Matthew 23, verses 13 through 22. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that is made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by Him who sits upon it. Father, we thank You that, Jesus, You are not like us. We thank You, Jesus, that You really love. That You love in ways that we have come to think are not loving. That You speak language like this, strong, harsh, bold, Condemning language because you are the lover of lovers. God, you are love. And Father, we want to confess to you that we have a, a we have inherited a, 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 a sometimes an, a, a wrong view of what love is. And we pray you would forgive us. God, we pray that we would learn to love like Jesus, that we would learn to receive even rebukes like this as love. God, we pray that You would warn us for ways in which we have the remnants of of Phariseeism, scribism in our hearts. We ask, Holy Spirit, that You would come and work in our hearts 
and, and that we would be warned by Jesus in the ways that we need to be warned. And that we would flee from sin and we would flee to Christ. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that You would convict us, that You would open our eyes to see all that You want us to see in Your Word here in Matthew 23. That You would draw us near to Christ. Lord, that we would find Christ to be precious, who saves from woe. That we would find shelter in Him. And so help us, God, be with us, teach us, convict us, comfort us, make us humble, broken, desperate for You people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus begin to call out the false religious teachers of His day and show the sin, hypocrisy, pride, and wickedness of the scribes and Pharisees. In view of God's mercy, the point last week, the, the, the drive-home point, in view of God's mercy, humble yourselves, flee hypocrisy, follow Jesus, and you will have great reward. Today, Jesus begins to pronounce eight woes on these false teachers. He pronounces curses upon them for their sin and hypocrisy. All the woes we will begin to see today are in contrast to the many blesseds in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and that was Jesus' public teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' last public teaching. So one of His first public teachings starts with blessed, 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 blessed. And His last public teaching, remember this is the last week of His life before He dies. This is His last public teaching. The rest of the teaching He does will be private. This is the last public teaching. And in contrast to the blessed, 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 we have woe, 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 woe. But this is love too. I was listening to a testimony last night and something that was profound in this person's testimony is this, 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 this young man had a grandmother who loved God and went to church and always talked about God in the Bible, but he never heard about the wrath of God from his grandmother. And he finally got into a church with a faithful preacher who talked about the wrath of God. And he made a comment to the, to the, to, to the essence of if, if you don't know that God hates, then you don't know the love of God. Amen. If you don't understand that there are things that God hates and abominates, then you don't know the love of God. Beloved, we see that God hates things in this chapter. <laughs> we see that Jesus hates hypocrisy in this chapter, that Jesus hates uh, religious pride and religious show. And yet, His declaration of hating this is loving. Is loving. I wonder if you know love the way Jesus knows love. Again, beloved, this is Jesus' last public teaching in the last week of His life. And He ends it with these strong warnings. Legan Duncan comments on this chapter, His denunciation is purely pastoral. He is not venting. He's not just venting. 
He's not just finally fed up and He's going to let them have it. Jesus is calculated and deliberate and ultimately loving in what He says in this passage. Eight times He pronounces woes on the scribes and Pharisees. Seven times He calls them hypocrites. Four times He calls them blind. Once He calls them fools. He calls them the offspring of vipers. He calls them serpents. In John chapter 8, He calls them of your father the devil. Jesus' words are strong, Duncan goes on to say. But He is not engaging in mere name-calling. This is calculated spiritual confrontation. What in the world was Jesus doing? Two things at least. First of all, Jesus was showing God's people God's attitude towards hypocrisy. And secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ is offering another general warning to these scribes and Pharisees. The Lord Jesus Christ in His graciousness is once again warning these men to flee from their own sins and to flee to Him and to the Gospel. And so in denouncing them, He is actually telling them the things that they need to know in order to be saved. Just as the prophets confronted wicked kings in the days of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ is confronting wicked religious leaders and He is doing it not because He hates them, but because He desires them to turn from their sins and be saved. These false teachers, we see over and over again in chapter 23, desired the glory of men and not the glory of God. Beloved, whose glory do you most desire? Whose praise do you most desire? Whose acceptance do you most desire? Whose smile do you most want to be shining down on you? By the grace of God, this passage teaches us, by the grace of God, flee false teachers and false religion and pursue Christ, the heart of true religion. By the grace of God, flee false teachers and flee false religion and pursue Christ who is the heart of true religion. Point number one, false teachers lead people to hell. False teachers lead people to hell. Look at verse 13. But woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. What does woe mean, first of all? What, what does woe mean? Woe uh, means how horrible it will be. So how horrible it will be for you, Pharisees and scribes. How horrible it will be for you. Or what a horror it will be for you. Or what a tragedy it will be for you. What a disaster it will be for you, scribes and Pharisees. D.A. Carson comments on this, A woe can be a compassionate alas. As in Matthew 24, 19, a strong condemnation, as in Matthew eleven twenty one, or a combination of the two, Matthew 18, 17, and Matthew 26, 24. In Matthew 23, condemnation predominates. 
but it neither is neither vindictive nor spiteful so much as judicial. Jesus the Messiah pronounces judgment. And I love how Daniel Doriani described woe. Like a piano chord played by one hand, a woe has three notes. Grief, anger, and sorrow. Grief, anger, and sorrow. When something evil happens, the woe both condemns and laments that evil. The woes call for judgment, yet they say there is time to repent. The judgment is almost, but not quite here. Jesus' woes call for judgment and repentance, even at the last moment. The woes are the last attempt to rouse sleepers to flee as a forest fire races toward a wooden house. It mingles doom and pity with one last call to repent. That's what woe is. A mingling of grief and of anger and of sorrow. And Jesus pronounced these woes eight times upon these religious leaders. Well, again, in somewhat of a review, who were the scribes and Pharisees? Scribes were the very educated experts in the law of God and teachers of the law of God. They were held in high esteem by the people in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, also held in high esteem by the people, were the separated ones. They had pledged themselves to a higher Jewish life, so to speak. They, they, they wanted to obey the commands with greater diligence uh, and faithfulness than the common Jewish people. They sought to live with utmost purity and commitment to the law of God more than common Jewish people. And these scribes and Pharisees were thought of as the religious leaders of Jesus' day. This is who Jesus is addressing. And He's also addressing the crowds who are listening to Him. Well, what is a hypocrite? He calls them hypocrites seven times. A hypocrite is, is, is like an actor, like a fake who wears a mask. Says one thing, but does another, but not just someone who's inconsistent. We're all inconsistent, right? We're all inconsistent to some degree. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. The, these scribes and Pharisees are hypocrites in the sense that they, yes, they, they say one thing and do another, but with evil, self-righteous intent. Not just inconsistent. Matthew 23, 3 and 5, for they preach, but do not practice. And verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. And this verse tells us these scribes and Pharisees shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. I mean, that, that's ironic. They're, they're to be the ones leading people to salvation, leading people to Christ, leading people to the Messiah, but they shut the door in people's faces, keeping them out of heaven. Jesus is saying they actually keep people out of heaven who want to go to heaven. They shut the door of heaven in people's faces by their teaching and by their lives. And this is why Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, warned Timothy to watch your life and doctrine. Because by doing so, you actually save people. 
1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching or on the doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Can you, can you, do you have a theology that can say that? Oh, you can't save anybody. Only God saves people. Well, you better get in line with the Bible. <laughs> you better get in line with the Bible. Because the Bible says you can save yourself and other people. And you need to know how that fits in with justification by faith alone in Christ alone. The Bible uses save in different ways. You have been saved, justified. You're being saved, sanctified, and you will be saved, glorified. And so if you've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that you cannot add any of your works to it, that it's Him and Him alone, and you can simply receive it by faith. How do you continue in that? You're supposed to put forth holy effort. It's not let go and let God. We were talking about this in Sunday school. No, you're to strive, you're to fight, you're to beat that body in submission. You're to put forth holy effort in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I worked harder than all of them. But not I, but Christ in me. Paul said, I beat my body and bring it into subjection. Lest after preaching to others, I myself become castaway. And so you better watch your life and watch your doctrine to save yourself. To be sanctified and to finally be glorified. Or you might fall away. Watch your life in doctrine. Watch your life in doctrine carefully so you'll save yourself and you'll save those who hear you. James 3.1 not many of you should be teachers. You want to be a pastor? You better watch out. You better rethink that. You want to teach Sunday school? You better rethink that. You better get a hold of James 3.1 first. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Amen. Because... You can shut people out of heaven. You can shut people out of heaven when you teach. Like these Pharisees were shutting the door on people's faces. Beware. Beware. Notice this verse also says the scribes and Pharisees aren't going to heaven themselves. And they lead others to hell as well. Verse 13, For you neither enter yourselves... You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. These people want to go in. They would enter, but you don't allow them to go in. And you're not going in. Why? They don't trust Jesus. They don't help others trust Jesus. These scribes and Pharisees should have been welcoming in the Messiah. Saying like John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. They should be bowing to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, following Jesus, and telling everybody, Follow Jesus. Follow Him. He's everything. And they weren't. They rejected Christ. They, they, they spoke evil blasphemies about Christ, calling Him Bilzebul. Calling Him Satanic. No, they were shutting people out of heaven because they don't trust Jesus and they don't point others to trust Jesus. And Jesus warned about them. 
Jesus warned in Matthew 7, 15 and 21 through 23, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They come in sheep's clothing. They look great. They look great on the outside. They speak with eloquence. They, 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 just the sound of their voice will have you hypnotized. They're, they're great orators, great speakers. They make great promises. They look great on the outside. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I mean, these, these teachers weren't even calling Jesus Lord. <laughs> they w- didn't want to do anything in Jesus' name. And Jesus is warning them there are people who even seem to accept Him and do things in His name that aren't going to make it. On that day, many will come to Him, Jesus, and call Him Lord, Lord. Didn't we not prophesy in Your name? There are people who prophesy in Jesus' name, who call Jesus Lord, who cast out demons in Jesus' name, who do many mighty works in Jesus' name, and yet they're going to go to hell. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're not doing the will of the Father in heaven. And so, like like them, these Pharisees, they look good on the outside. They claim to love God, follow God, trust God, point people to God, and yet they're leading people to hell. They shut the door in people's faces. Beloved, how do you enter in? Do you know how to tell somebody to enter in? Friend, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, do you know how to enter in to the kingdom of God? Jesus. Jesus is the only way to enter in. These these false teachers shut the door on people's faces, but what does the Bible say? Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door. I am the door. Anyone, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the door. And you've got to trust Him. You've got to believe in Him. You see, all of us have sinned in the ways these Pharisees have sinned. We've all done things so that other people will think well of us. We've all done things for show. We've all loved the praise of man more than the praise of God. We're going to see they loved money. They, They do things for money. They just want money. This world, right, is filled with people who just love money. And they're going to die and go to hell because they live for money. This world is filled with people, as Anthony said, who live for their glands. They want food. They just love food. Or or, or sex. They just want sex. Like animals, they just live for those sensations, those bodily sensations that they can get from food and sex and sleep and people patting them on the back and saying, you're so great, you're so great, you're so great. The world lives for that. That's all they have to live for, like dogs. Like dogs in heat who live for their glands. That's what sinners are like. That's what the remnant of Pharisee in us lives for. And that's sin. And because of that sin, we all deserve hell because God is a righteous and a good and a holy God. And, and so we deserve to be cast into hell and, and suffer the wrath of God forever and ever and ever. But beloved, as we see in this text, God loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus comes warning sinners. Jesus spoke of hell more than anyone else in the Bible combined. 
And he died. He came warning like this, preaching, teaching the way to God, showing the way to God by the way he lived, modeling obedience and, and living and loving. And then he died and suffered God's wrath. He suffered the wrath and curse and judgment of God on the cross. And, and, and friend, I, I'd be interested in your feedback on this because I've never seen this written anywhere and that always scares me. So I'm inviting your feedback. A lot of preachers say that Jesus saved his most horrible denunciations for the scribes and Pharisees, as we see in Matthew 23. But I was thinking, I know of one greater. He didn't call them Satan. He called one of his own disciples Satan. And that made me think, why? Why Why would Jesus call Peter Satan? What's worse than all the way these Pharisees live? What was Peter doing? Jesus had just told Peter, I'm going to go and die and suffer. And Peter said, oh no, Lord, that will never happen to you. Peter was minimizing the sufferings of Christ on the cross. Saying, you'll never suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to one of his own disciples. If there's a greater enunciation than that, let me know. I'll correct myself. Being called Satan. Yes, he calls them children of Satan. But he calls Peter Satan. Beloved, don't minimize the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And I see people do it all the time these days in the name of Trinitarian theology. No, Jesus died on the cross and the Father turned His face away. Yes, He did. Seeing how deep the Father's love for us and, and don't let these smart young PhD Trinitarian theologians say He did not do that. Get behind me, Satan. They're good people. They love Jesus like Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Because they minimize the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Yes, the Father was angry with His Son on the cross because Jesus took our sin upon Him. Don't minimize that. Get behind me, Satan. No, Jesus suffered the hell that we deserve. Jesus was made uh, not just to son, twice the son of hell. He was made a myriad number as much the sons of hell on the cross. He bore that punishment that we deserve that we might never go to hell. Beloved, that's the heart of the cross. It, without that, I have no hope. We have no hope if Jesus did not suffer the wrath of God on the cross. And bear shame and hell. Jesus bore it. Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross. And He died. And He was buried. But on the third day, you see, on the third day, you see, on the third day, God declared that He's also pleased with His Son. He, he's also smiling and loving the Son when He died. He, he's well pleased with the Son even when He's most angry with Him. Even as he turns his face away, he loves and delights in the sun. You've just got to get those categories in your mind. <laughs> and he raised him from the dead and said, yes, this is sufficient. You have, you have quenched the fires of hell for a myriad number of people. And they will never go to hell because you suffered their hell and it was finished. And you are risen and raised and you rule and reign. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And all who call on the Son shall be saved. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. We were starting Sunday school and I heard Anthony's class sing and we had to go out and sing with them. There's power in the blood. Wonder working power in the blood. His blood saves. Friend, have you trusted in the blood? 
Have you trusted in the blood of Jesus? Have you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior? You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You you can't do anything to make God love you. You can simply receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. Have you done that? Young people, have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus? He will save you. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Friend, if that's... If you need to talk to somebody about that, we want to talk to you afterwards. I'll be here afterwards. We would love to talk to you about your soul. We want you to leave here born again and saved and open and go into the door that's open, Jesus Christ. These false teachers did not have that. They did not know Jesus. They did not trust Jesus. They did not go in through the door who is Christ alone. And so they are cursed unless they repent. Well, beloved, who are the false teachers of our day? These scribes and Pharisees were false teachers in Jesus' day. Who are are the false teachers of our day? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses are false teachers. And and, in all of these, one of the main things that they get wrong is that Jesus is God. Do you wonder why I'm so fixated on Jesus is God? Why I want to get a tattoo on my forehead, Jesus is God? Where I want every clothing I wear to say somewhere, Jesus is God? Why is that? Because this is so central to all the false teachers that I'm going to bring up. The Pharisees didn't get it. When when Jesus said, I'm God, they tried to kill Him. Jehovah's Witnesses deny that Jesus is God. Mormons deny that Jesus is God. All the cult groups deny that Jesus is God. They're false teachers leading people to hell. I was listening to a John MacArthur sermon last night and he, there was a man who was a member of his church who called him and said, I'm going to become a Mormon. Thank you. I just wanted to let you know I'm leaving your church and some of them are on their way to my house right now uh, to, to talk with me. And MacArthur's like, bye, hung up the phone, got in his car and drove to this guy's house to get there before the Mormons. And when the Mormons got there, he opened up a bunch of woes. He didn't talk theology. He didn't try to convince them of anything. He just went, whoa, 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 like Jesus did. Because they're false teachers. And they lead people to hell. And that's bad. And if we love God and love people, it's going to rile you up a bit. You see, love gets riled up. Talk to a father. Somebody try to mess with his daughter. He's going to get mad. Jesus is angry here. Woe, again, shows anger. Romanists, Roman Catholics... False teachers. False teachers. We thought about that some last week. And no call no man father, and they call the Pope Papa, Father. They deny justification by faith alone. They deny the uh, sufficiency of Scripture alone. They're false teachers. Roman Catholics are not Christians. They're not Christians. They don't know Christ. They don't know the Gospel. Yes, I know some in these false churches may actually be saved, but it's in spite of all that false doctrine, not because of it. So I feel very comfortable saying Roman Catholics are not Christians. And when we say they are or pray with them like they are or partner in ministry with them like they are, we lie to people about Jesus. And I care a lot more about what Jesus thinks than what the ecumenical people think. Roman Catholics are not Christians. They're false teachers. Promoters of LGBTQIA+. Christianity are false teachers. This is spreading in the church today. More and more we hear of people getting this kind of stuff wrong. 
Alistair Begg got it wrong. You don't go to LGBTQI transgender weddings. You don't go. Period. You don't go. You don't celebrate sin. Christians don't do that. That's what love is. Love is not celebrating sin and saying woe to you. Repent or you'll go to hell. That's what love does. That's true love. But we've been so sentimentalized because we breathe in the culture. We breathe in the, 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 the TV, the radio. We've, we've sentimentalized love and, and miss Jesus. We think love is just always, oh, you're so good, you're so kind. I just want to affirm you. That's not love. That's hate when they're on their way to hell. We have to say, whoa. If we love LGBTQI people, we're going to warn them. We're going to warn them of the wrath to come that they must repent and turn to Christ. That's love. That's true love. That's Jesus' love. Prosperity preachers are false teachers of our day. Benny Hinn went to, to Kenya this past weekend preaching his false, wicked, godless, from the very pit of hell, false gospel. Benny Hinn is a false teacher who leads people to hell. Praise God, God saved Costi Hinn, his nephew, out of such false and wicked teaching. Creflo Dollar is a false teacher headed to hell and leading people to hell. If you don't understand that, please come and talk to me. Because I love you. And I want you to see that. Creflo Dollar is a false teacher. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher on his way to hell and leading millions of people to hell. Joel Osteen is a false teacher on his way to hell and leading many people to hell. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher on her way to hell and leading many people to hell. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher on his way to hell and leading many people to hell. Miles Monroe, unless he repented, is in hell now because he died in a plane crash. And I see pastors in my own denomination sharing clips by Miles Monroe. Beloved, that's blasphemy. That's wicked. That's evil. These men are wicked and evil. They're satanic. They're demonic. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They love money. They love money. They love money. They deny the Trinity. They deny Trinitarian orthodoxy. They minimize sin. They minimize what Jesus suffered on the cross. They deify man and they belittle God. They are the false teachers of our day. And I would encourage you to repent. Don't watch them. Don't watch them. Turn off TBN, the devil's broadcasting network. Turn off that trash. It's not good. It doesn't help you follow Jesus. And for some of you, especially if you're here for the first time, whoa, this guy's crazy. I remember one time I was in Africa, and I had one chance, and I was being translated. And I, You go into African bookstores, you see all this garbage they sell in Africa. And it makes me angry. And so I get to preach uh, in Africa, in, in, was it Uganda? And I get one chance. I'm going to talk about this because it's all over there. And so I start telling them these names. I name names. You need to name names. If you think it's wrong to name names, you need to repent. Amen. There's some Christians, oh, it's not right to name names. 
No, the Bible names names. You need to get specific. The best books on this are books that name names. I need to know who they are. I need to know what they teach, and I need to know why it's wrong. If you think it's wrong to name names, you need to repent. (laughs) We name names because we love people, and we love Jesus, and we love the gospel. And so I'm naming these names, and the pastor who's translated looked at me. I said, Joel Osteen is a false teacher, is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He looks at me, and I said, Joel Osteen. And I just kept naming him twice because he didn't want to say it. But I had one chance to warn these people of the, the vipers leading them to hell. Friend, if we love people, we're going to warn people like Jesus did about false teachers. Love does that. True love. Not our false, sentimentalized, American, lovey-dovey, everything's okay love. No, true love, biblical love, Jesus love warns people about what will kill them. And parents, you know this. If your child is about to run out in the street, you might jerk their arm out of joint to save them from getting hit by a car and yell at them. Love takes precaution to save from death. Mamas, you know that. Well, how much more to save people from eternal death? And so we want to warn people like Jesus of these false teachers. Point number two. False teachers steal money from the weak and vulnerable and pray for the praise of men. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Now, if you have an ESV, this verse is not in your Bible because it's a textual variant and... uh, uh, some scholars believe that the, in, in the best uh, uh, oldest manuscripts, this uh, verse was not in Matthew's Gospel. If you have questions about textual variants, I've gone over that in detail on my sermon on Matthew 6.13. So if you have questions about, about that, go look that sermon up. I'm going to preach this verse because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Uh, if not in Matthew, it's in Mark 12:40, and it's in, it's in Luke 20, it's 46 through 47. Beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So they devour widows' houses. They steal money from the most weak and needy in society, which is exactly what these prosperity preachers do. That's why they like to go to places like Africa. They steal money from the weakest. And it's nothing new. False teachers, there's nothing new under the sun. They do the same thing today as they did then. They steal money from the most weak and needy in society, the widows. And widows were especially weak and needy back then in that society. Robert Stein comments, they do this in five ways. One, accepting payment for widows for legal aid and advice, even though this was forbidden. Two, by cheating widows in their roles as guardians of their husband's estates. Three, by sponging off the hospitality of widows. Four, by mismanaging of widows' estates. Five, by taking money from widows for lengthy prayers made on their behalf. And six, by taking houses as pledges for debts that could not be paid. So lots of ways that they would steal money from widows because they loved money. They loved money. I mean, this is something we can ask ourselves. How much do I love money? How much do we love money? Pastors very rarely preach on greed in America. And greed is one of the sins that will keep you out of heaven. 
But we never talk about it. We never talk about greed. They were greedy. And they took money from the poor and needy and they devoured them, the Bible says. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. I mean, every year the Super Bowl comes around, you hear all over these ads and things about gambling. Gambling and, 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 and sports betting and all these, these things show that people have a love for money. They want to get rich quick without working. Beloved, beware. Beware the love of money. Ask God to show you, Lord, how, what are ways in which I, I love money? And, and I, I saw someone talking about tithing and that, that, you know, there's this reaction in the church, in faithful churches, some faithful churches against tithing because these prosperity preachers will so use tithing to guilt people to give money. But, but my perspective is the tithe is just a good place to start. <laughs> I mean, if Old Covenant saints who didn't have the cross, didn't have the resurrection, didn't have Jesus in the way we have Him, gave ten. How much more in the new covenant should we be giving? We ought to be outgiving, outgiving prosperity preacher churches. Because we know Jesus. We're not doing it out of guilt and twisting of arm, but we have met the risen Christ. We love Him. And so we should be the most generous people in the world. Because we don't live for this world. We don't live for this world. We live for another world. And so we don't gamble money away. We don't do sports betting. We are good stewards of the monies God's given us and seek to use it for His glory. Lord, help us do that. 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And beloved, these, these scribes and Pharisees, they loved money and took advantage of the weakest. But Jesus, just contrast, throughout this whole thing, contrast Jesus with these wicked men. Jesus cared for widows. Jesus cared for the most needy and most vulnerable and, and, and the most helpless. That's what Jesus did. Even when He was dying on the cross, He cared for His widow mother. John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Even in His greatest suffering, He's caring for someone else. Notice these false teachers also make long prayers for pretense. What is pretense? It's make-believe. It's putting on an act. It's shaming. It's faking. It's play-acting. It's posturing. It's deception. It's deceitful. It's fraud. It's trickery. It's dishonesty. It's hypocrisy. It's falsity. It's lying. They are hypocrites who love to be thought highly of by the people, and so they would pray long prayers so that people would think they're holy. Friend, long prayers don't make you holy. In the Bible, it doesn't say it has to be this length. Sometimes, help me, Lord, is the most holy prayer you can pray. Help me, Lord. But they would pray long prayers because they wanted people to think well of them. They sought the glory of man 
and not the glory of God. Beloved, Jesus never had pretense. Jesus is the most real, genuine, authentic, true man who ever lived. And everything He did, He did all for the glory of God. But these false teachers didn't. And Jesus says, they shall receive greater condemnation. Judgment for the scribes and Pharisees will be very bad if they do not repent. Remember James 3.1. Teachers receive a stricter judgment. False teachers be well. Beware, hell will be hotter for you. Hell will be hotter for false teachers if they don't repent. They will receive the greater condemnation, Jesus says. Some sins are greater than others. (laughs) Beloved, in view of this, by God's grace, flee false teachers. Flee false religion and pursue Christ, the heart of true religion. Point number three, false teachers have a zeal for evangelism, but they lead people to hell. False teachers have a zeal for evangelism, but they lead people to hell. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. The scribes and Pharisees, notice, wanted to make converts to Judaism. That's what a proselyte is. A proselyte is someone who is converted to Judaism. A Gentile who is converted to Judaism. And these scribes and Pharisees wanted to make converts. And it, the commentaries, they, they sometimes get on my nerves. Well, there's no historical data that tells us the Jews are uh, evangelists. I don't care. What does Jesus say? Jesus says they were. I don't care what your Second Temple Judaism tells you. I don't care what the other documents say. I'm going to go with Jesus. And Jesus says they were zealous evangelists. Ah, oh, Second Temple Judaism. Scholars, read Jesus. Be a scholar on Jesus. They were zealous, zealous for converts. They did evangelism. They sacrificed to do evangelism. They made great sacrifices to do evangelism. They traveled across sea and land to make one single convert. They were zealous missionaries. Jesus says, they want others to follow the God of Israel as they thought they were following Him. But, Jesus tells us they're children of hell. They're children of hell. Like He said in John 8.44, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And beloved, they're children of hell because they don't have Christ. They don't have Christ. They don't have Jesus. And so they're children of hell. They're children of this place of fire and suffering where Jesus says the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. And notice the converts that they make are twice as much children of hell as they are. So they're, 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 they're not leading people to salvation but to damnation and their followers become better at their Phariseeism than they are. As some disciples are even more zealous than their teachers. And so these Pharisee scribe disciples become even more zealous for Phariseeism and they're twice as much the son of hell as the Pharisees. 
Beloved, we see this today as converts are made to Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnessism and Roman Catholicism and uh, uh, health and wealth prosperity gospel. They become twice as much a son of hell. And it's sad. We can be zealous for evangelism and still go to hell. I mean, we, we, I should hear that as a pastor. Like, I need to hear that. I don't get to go to heaven because I'm a pastor. <laughs> Richard Baxter warns pastors in his book, The Reformed Pastor. Many have warned others that they come not to that place of torment, while yet they hasten to it themselves. Many a preacher is now in hell who hath a hundred times called upon his hearers to use the utmost care and diligence to escape it. Can any reasonable man imagine that God should save man for offering salvation to others while they refuse it themselves? And for telling others those truths which they themselves neglect and abuse? Many a tailor goes in rags that maketh costly clothes for others. And many a cook scarcely licks his fingers when he hath dressed for others the most costly dishes. Believe it, brethren. God never saved any man for being a preacher, nor because he was an able preacher, but because he was a justified, sanctified man, and consequently faithful to his master's work. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves first, that you be that which you persuade other hearers to be, and believe that which you persuade them to believe, and heartily entertain that Savior whom you offer to them. May we be trusting in Christ alone. Not in our evangelism. Not in our ministry. Not that we're a pastor. Not that we've led other people to Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples as they went out and He gave them power and they cast out demons and did miracles and they came back rejoicing. The demons bow to us. The demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Don't rejoice in your ministry success, but rejoice in this. Your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven. Beloved, the Pharisees were zealous evangelists, but they were not going to heaven unless they repent. Number four, false teachers are blind guides who teach lies and lead people astray. Look at verses 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or, or, or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by Him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by Him who sits upon it. Beloved, notice this. The scribes and the Pharisees are blind guides, blind fools, and blind men. Jesus calls them all that. <laughs> There's no one like Jesus. He calls them what they are because He loves them. And He loves God and He loves the people they're deceiving. He calls them blind guides, blind fools, and blind men. They're like the church in Laodicea that we read of in Revelation 3, 15-17. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither 
hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, for you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They're blind. They're blind. Beloved, the good news is that God opens blind eyes. God opens blind eyes. Ephesians 1.18 Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope which He has called you. To which He has called you. God opens the blind eyes of our hearts that we might see and understand the truth. And if you're here this morning and you... If, if you're here like I was when I was a teenager, this is so boring! Please shut up, pastor. I want to go eat. I smell the food, and I really just want to eat, and I want to go home and play basketball, and I want to go do this. If that's you, and you're just bored out of your mind and want the food, pray that God would open your eyes. Like right now, pray, God, Lord, I love sports, and I love this, and I love that, and I love food, and I love uh, the, the things I'm doing behind my parents' back looking at pornography, and I, I love all this stuff, but Lord, I don't love you, quite frankly. You're boring and dead, and you don't give me any joy like ice cream and candy and all the sinful stuff I do. If that's you, pray now, God, please open my eyes, because I'm in love with junk, I'm in love with junk that, that will not satisfy and, 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 and if I make it my God will ultimately lead me to hell. Open the eyes of my heart so that I might see the beauty of Christ and believe on Him. Pray that now. Pray that now that God would open your hearts because only He can do that. He, he has to open your eyes to see your sin. I, I was listening to a testimony last night of a guy who grew up on the streets of Chicago and, 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 and he lived a wicked, sinful life, but he, he saw a friend of his get shot before his eyes and that began to make him think about death and he called the only pastor he knew and had her on speakerphone as this guy bled out and died. And all the guy that bled out and died kept saying is, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And the pastor on the phone was saying, you need to repent now, you need to confess your sins, you need to cry out to God. But his friend never cried out to God and only just kept saying, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And that had an impression on him. He didn't get saved, but it had an impression on him. He had an impression on him. When he heard about the wrath of God, he was chasing some church girl that he liked. And so he went to the church and heard about the wrath of God. And that had an impression on him. But he still didn't get saved. And finally, he, he met a man. He met a man who had his background, was in a gang, a gangbanger, and did all this stuff and got saved and loved the Lord and lived for Jesus. And he began to hang out with him. And this gangbanger said, come with me everywhere I go. We're going to Georgia. I got a trip. Come with me. I'm going to uh, this place. Come with me. He did everything with him and lived with him and showed him what it meant to live the Christian life. And this guy began to clean up his life. He, he, bent, he, he stopped sleeping around. He stopped doing drugs. He stopped selling marijuana. He stopped getting in fights. But he still wasn't saved. He, he was reforming his outward life. But his heart was not changed. The heart has to change. And you know what did it for him? He was with this guy. And they went through a drive-thru to pick up some food. And there was this cute girl at the drive-thru. And she started flirting with his Christian friend. This guy who's mentoring him. And, and this Christian guy started to flirt back with her. Didn't do anything overtly, we might say, wrong, but he started flirting with her. And they drove away. But he pulled the car over. And, and the guy who was flirting, his mentor, he, he said, Preston, I need to confess something to you. I, I was not acting in a godly way toward that woman back there, and I'm so convicted right now. Would you, would you pray with me to God 
to ask Him to forgive me for the way I had wrong thoughts in my heart about that woman. And, and he prayed and confessed his sin to God. And as he prayed, this guy's watching this guy, and, and, and he felt God was speaking to him there. And that's when he said, this guy, I've cleaned up my life. I've stopped doing all this stuff, but I don't love God like he does. Lord, give me a love for God, a true love for God like him. And God saved him. God saved his soul. Friend, God has to do that. God has to, you can clean up your life. You can obey mommy and daddy. You can do all the right things and still bust hell right open. Your heart has to change. Your heart has to change. I was the best little Pharisee out there in outward obedience, but inside my heart was wicked and lustful and want glory for Joseph. Your heart has to change. Pray that God would open the eyes of your heart. These Pharisees were blind. They did not have that. They did not have that. God opens the hearts of people. Guess what? God says we open the eyes of people. Can your theology take that? It's in the book. If your theology can't talk like the Bible, you need to change y'all theology. God sends us to open blind eyes through evangelism. Acts 26, 17-18. This is God's commission to Paul. I am sending you to open their eyes. And some Calvinists, oh, no, no, you need to change that. You need to um, uh, change the Bible. It, only God can open eyes. You better quit. Yes, God opens eyes. And we open eyes. It's both. I love both. God does both a lot. You open their eyes, Paul, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You go open their eyes. Beloved, that's our calling. That's why we're here as a church, to worship God and go out this week and open people's eyes, warning them about the wrath to come, telling them about the gospel. That became a characteristic of this guy I was telling you about that got saved. He never did evangelism, like a program, like Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, I'm going to go out to evangelize. He just talked to everybody he met. Everywhere he went, he talked to people. Uh, uh, his Uber driver, he would talk to the driver. Whoever took him around, when he went to the store, he would just talk to people. Everywhere he is, he's just talking to people about Jesus. He can't shut up about Jesus. Because he loves Jesus. He knows how much he's loved by Jesus. And so we're sent to open people's eyes that are blind by telling them the gospel. Pray that God would give you opportunities this week to open people's eyes to the truth of Christ. But the scribes and Pharisees were blind and they misused and misapplied God's good commandments about oaths, vows, and promises so that they could be dishonest and lie. They did this in two ways. They restricted these commandments to the legal court setting only and said they don't apply to my personal life. And they wrongly taught that if you swore by the gold of the temple or by the gift on the altar, then you had to keep your promises. But if you swore by the temple itself or by the altar itself, then you didn't have to keep your promises. They did this so that they could lie and be dishonest. And Jesus forbids all of this. First of all, Jesus shows them that their value system is wrong. <laughs> the temple and the altar are what make the gold and the gift sacred, Jesus taught them. The temple and the altar are of greater value than the gold and the gift. 
They are blind, these Pharisees and scribes. They don't understand God's values. They don't see what is most important to God. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the great sacrifice on the altar. Jesus is the most precious gift and greater than any gold. Jesus is our greatest inexpressible gift. Jesus is on the throne with God. And any kind of promise we make is in the face and before God. D.A. Carson comments, Jesus insists that whatever a man swears by is related to God in some way. And therefore, every oath is implicitly in God's name. All on the altar belongs to God. God dwelt in the temple. God sits on the throne in heaven. Anything they promise, they should keep their promise. And second of all, Jesus had already taught us that your yes should be yes and your no should be no. Beloved citizens of Christ's kingdom, tell the truth. Matthew 5.37 Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Citizens of Christ's kingdom love the truth. They tell the truth. And they love the truth and tell the truth because they know, trust, and love the God of truth. And they hate lies because lies are evil and come from the evil one, the father of lies. John 8.44 Again, Jesus said to these Jewish religious leaders, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And they love to lie. They are of their father the devil. And they would use this oath vow loopholes to, to, so they think he could lie and get out of their promises, get out of their commitments. We, on the other hand, beloved, we follow Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one cometh into the Father except through me. And we're new people. And so we follow God's Word. Colossians 3, 9-10 through 10, Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Proverbs 6, 16-17, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes and second on the list that God hates. A lying tongue. And Revelation 21, 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, as Christians, we should always speak as in the presence of God. Beloved, are there ways like the Pharisees that you avoid telling the truth? Do you look for loopholes? Will you tell the truth on your taxes this year? Do you get paid under the table and need to report that to the government? Brian Davis commented on this. Do you keep your word? When you say you're going to do something, do you do it? When you say you're going to be somewhere, are you there? Parents, when you tell your children you're going to do something, do you do it? How are we doing? Commitments at church. Beloved, do you confess your sin when your yes is no and when your no is yes? By the grace of God, flee false teachers who are liars and teach lying. Flee false religion which makes lying okay and pursue Christ, the truth, and the heart of true religion.
Beloved, why do you sometimes act the way that these scribes and Pharisees acted? What is the root of your problem? You make gods out of mere men. You find your joy and hope and satisfaction in the tiny little praises and honor of men. You may be hiding your own sin. You don't want people to really know who and what you are. Beloved, be encouraged that God knows all about you. He knows your secret sins. He knows your struggles. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. And He still loves you. You're fully known. Fully known. And loved by God. Do you remember those questions I began this sermon with? Whose glory do you most desire? Whose praise do you most desire? Whose acceptance do you most desire? Whose smile do you most want to be shining down on you? Beloved, we most desperately need God's acceptance and God's smile. And, and to not only know we have it in our minds, but to know for real, for real, that we have God's acceptance and smile. Do you know Jesus that way? We, 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 I began to read a new book on going deeper with Jesus. And, and the point, one of the points of the book is the reason uh, all, all your sin problems stem from this. You don't know Jesus as well as you need to know Him. And there's always more to know that you've only, you've only seen the tip of the iceberg. Of the, of the riches and glory and beauty of Christ. I don't care how much you know, how long you've lived. You've only seen the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's more to know. And by going deeper with Him and knowing Him, not just as a, a theological topic or, 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 or something you, you think about and analyze, but knowing that He's a real person, a real living person, that you can talk to, cry to, be with, who's with you and cares about you and love you. By knowing Him more deeply, more intimately, that's how you strike at the, at the, at the, at the core of, of your sin problems. By looking unto Jesus. By looking unto Jesus. Jesus Himself, beloved, because He loves you, He took God's greatest woe upon Himself on that cross. Jesus on the cross, He was counted as the worst of false teachers, even though He's the greatest teacher that ever lived. That, that wicked, evil Phariseeism of the Apostle Paul, that was counted as Christ. And He bore it in His body on the tree. He was counted as the false teacher of all false teachers. On the cross, Jesus had His face shut out of the kingdom of heaven when the Father did turn His face away. And Jesus cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Jesus didn't enter into the kingdom, but was cut off and cast outside the camp on the cross. Jesus was devoured by the wrath of God. Jesus received the greatest condemnation that anyone could ever receive on the cross. Jesus didn't just travel over land and sea. He traveled from heaven to earth to save sinners. And on that cross, He was not just made uh, twice as much a son of hell. He was made a countless number as much a child of hell so that we might never be children of hell. 
Jesus is the light of the world and the very wisdom of God, yet He was blindfolded and beaten and treated like a fool on that cross so that we might have the light of life in Him and see the King in His beauty and possess the wisdom of God for ourselves for all eternity. Jesus was not smiled upon on the cross, but God the Father forsook the Son on that cross so that we might be forever accepted and smiled upon by our Father in heaven. And yet, and yet the Father did smile upon His Son as well on the cross. It's both and, not either or. And He raised Him from the dead. And now, in union with Jesus, our Father smiles upon us and sings over us. Beloved, God is in you. You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Jesus is our sure and certain guide who leads us to heaven and He is the door into the kingdom of God. He is the temple of God that was torn down and after three days was raised up so that we might be God's temple. He is our gold. He is our great sacred gift. He is our heaven. And He is seated on the throne of God with all authority and all power, and intercedes for you, even right now. Beloved, Jesus received the greater condemnation for prideful lusts of all creation, that we might, that He might save from every nation a humble bride who knows salvation. True love will say, beware and warn, so from the Christ you won't be torn. To make you His, our God has sworn and gave His Son to take your scorn. On you, great love, He will adorn so you will never be forlorn. Rejoice now, no longer mourn. You have new life. You've been reborn. You've been reborn. Jesus passionately loves His holy bride. Therefore, His anger He can't hide. When evil teachers come with pride and with their lives about God lied, blind leaders toward destruction guide and try to turn away His bride from His true, pure, perfect side, they, He, will with strong judgments chide and finally cast them all outside where hotter fires will not subside. But with the fires of judgment wide, our warrior king came to collide. He quenched the fires right where He died and turned God's fiery wrath aside. He conquered death and freedom cried for all who turn and hate their pride and trust the Son who for them died. With Him they will in peace abide. He stands with loving arms out wide to take you in and be your guide. In Him all things you can confide. All joys you need, He will provide. He is your joy and love supplied. So come to Him. You must decide. Make, may God make us true and humble meek, not like the scribe, a prideful freak. Let's humbly ask for clear critique and try to turn the other cheek. Let all fake motives to us reek. And honesty be our pure technique. For Christ's the treasure that we seek. May Christ is all be what we speak and also what we live each week. For though we are so poor and weak, our Christ is strong. He's all unique. Jesus had no robe to wear 
They stripped him down and pulled his hair. No lofty greetings he found there. They crushed and mocked him with a glare. He had no seat, no stool or chair. Skin from his back they lash would tear. He loves you widows. Don't despair. For Mary's life he did prepare. To John he'd say, she's in your care. Devoured by God's wrath he'd bear. He would not pray to get a stare. Why has God left? Was his meek prayer. To greater condemnation he would square. With no one else he'll never share. That means you're free, he will declare. No condemnation will ensnare. For you his son he did not spare. With him there's none who can compare. Christ Jesus opened the kingdom for every tribe and nation and put on every face an amazing jubilation by taking on Himself the greatest condemnation. He would not enter in, but was cut off like amputation, was made a child of hell and took our woes in full damnation. He's no blind guide at all, but our light, the Incarnation. The only one with no hypocrisy in life or inclination traveled from heaven to earth to die and grant salvation. Rose up from the dead giving sinners justification. He is God's temple pure where we worship with adoration. He's more precious than any gold of greatest valuation. He's on the throne of God with all authority, coronation. So trust in Him alone as your only propitiation. He'll be your all in all in holy fascination. So you'll worship God aright without Pharisee profanation. He'll be your greatest joy and eternal celebration and bring into your life a never-ending reformation. We must look to Christ. We must find our joy and delight in Christ. We must be satisfied in Christ. For that's the heart of true religion. Beloved, by the grace of God, flee false teachers and false religion and pursue Christ, the heart of true religion. Father, we thank You for sending us Your Son to speak strong words of warning like we see in Matthew 23. We thank You, Jesus, that You loved us so much, that You love Your disciples so much, that You loved even the Pharisees and scribes so much that You spoke hard truth that they might see, that they might be awakened to see the danger of their future and repent. Father, we thank You that some Pharisees did repent. We thank You that Paul repented. We thank You that we have his writings inspired by the Spirit. Father, we thank You for a Savior who loves us enough to speak hard things to us. God, we pray that we would hear these hard truths in the way that You want us to hear them, that Your Spirit would work in our hearts. Lord, that where there is this kind of hypocrisy or sin or love of money, uh, uh, love of the praise of men, seeking after the glory of man and not Your glory, Lord, show us ways in our hearts and minds in which we're doing that. And, and we thank You that we have promises that if we repent, if we confess our sins, You're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank You, God, that You... Forgive us of all our sins. And where our sin abounds, Your grace abounds all the more. And so please, God, make us more like Christ. Father, we pray for false teachers. We pray they would repent. Lord, we thank You so much for saving Costi Hen. And we pray You would save Benny Hen. We pray that You would save Creflo Dollar. We pray that You would save T.D. Jakes and You would save Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland. We pray that You would save uh, uh, all the prosperity preachers and grant a great revival. And that they would tell the truth to people. And Father, we pray that You would save sinners 
and Jehovah's Witnessism and Mormonism and Roman Catholicism and Lord and and cold dead evangelical churches and in liberal churches that preach that sin's okay. We pray, Lord God, that you would bring a great revival of truth and righteousness and holiness and let it begin with us. Lord, help us pursue you and love you and delight in you and live for you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.